0: Pichon and Sons of the Croix Rousse, anonymous. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Erickson. Pichon and Sons of the Croix Rousse. Giraudier, pharmacien première classe, is a legend recorded in huge, ill-proportioned letters which directs the attention of the stranger to the most prosperous-looking shop in the grand place of la croix russe a well-known suburb of the beautiful city of Lyon, which has its share of the shabby gentility and poor pretense common to the suburban commerce of great towns giraudier is not only pharmacien but propriétaire though not by inheritance his possession of one of the prettiest and most prolific of the small vineyards in the beautiful suburb and a charming inconvenient house with low ceilings, Lilliputian bedrooms, and a profusion of Persienne, jalousies and Contrevent comes by purchase. This enviable little terre was sold by the nation when that terrible abstraction transacted the public business of France, and it was bought very cheaply by the strong-minded father of the Giraudier of the present. was not disturbed by the evil reputation which the place had gained at a time when the peasants of france having been bullied into a renunciation of religion eagerly cherished superstition the giraudier of the present cherishes the particular superstition in question affectionately it reminds him of an uncommonly good bargain made in his favour which is always a pleasant association of ideas especially to a frenchman still more especially to a lyonnais and it attracts strangers to his pharmacies and leads to transactions in grand chartreuse and crème de rose ensuing naturally on the narration of the history of pichon and sons Giraudier is not of aristocratic principles and sympathies on the contrary he has decided republican leanings and considers le progrès a masterpiece of journalistic literature but as he says simply and strongly it is not because a man is a marquis that one is not to keep faith with him a bad action is not good because it harms a good-for-nothing of a noble the more when that good-for-nothing is no longer a noble but rire at the easy price of acquiescence in these sentiments the stranger here is one of the most authentic best remembered most popular of the many traditions of the bad old times before general bonaparte as girodet who has no sympathy with any later designation of le grand Dame, calls the emperor whose statue one can perceive a speck in the distance from the threshold of the pharmacy, the marquis de st in the days of the triumph of the great revolution was fortunate enough to be out of france and wise enough to remain away from that country though he persisted long after the old regime was as dead as the ptolemies and believing it merely suspended and the revolution a lamentable accident of vulgar complexion but happily temporary duration the marquis de st who affected the style regence and was the politest of infidels and the most refined of voluptuaries got on indifferently in inappreciative foreign parts but the members of his family his brothers and sisters two of whom were guillotined while the third escaped to Savoy, and found refuge there in a convent of her order, got on exceedingly ill in France. If the ci-devant Marquis had had plenty of money to expend in such feeble imitations of his accustomed pleasures as were to be had out of Paris, he would not have been much affected by the fate of his relatives. But money became exceedingly scarce, the marquis had actually beheld many of his peers reduced to the necessity of earning the despicable but indispensable article after many ludicrous fashions and the duration of this absurd upsetting of law order privilege and property began to assume unexpected and very unpleasant proportions the chateau de st with its surrounding lands was confiscated to the nation during the third year of the emigration of the Marquis de Saint-Ange, and the greater part of the estate was purchased by a thrifty, industrious, and rich avocat named Prosper Alix, a widower with an only daughter. Prosper Alix enjoyed the esteem of the entire neighborhood. First, he was rich. Secondly, he was of a taciturn disposition and of a neutral tint in politics, he had done well under the old regime and he was doing well under the new thank god or the supreme being or the first cause or the goddess reason herself for all he would have invoked dagon moloch or Callie quite as readily as the saints and the madonna who had gone so utterly out of fashion of late nobody was afraid to speak out before prospera leaks. he was not a spy and though a cold-hearted man except in the instance of his only daughter he never harmed anybody very likely it was because he was the last person in the vicinity whom anybody would have suspected of being applied to by the dispossessed family that the son of the marquis's brother a young man of promise of courage of intellect and of morals of decidedly a higher calibre than those actually and traditionally imputed to the family sought the aid of the new possessor of the chateau de saint which had changed its old title for that of the maison alix the father of m paul de st had perished in the september massacres his mother had been guillotined at lyons and he who had been saved by the interposition of a young comrade whose father had in the wonderful rotations of the wheel of fate acquired authority in the place where he had once esteemed the notice of the nephew of the marquis a crowning honor for his son had passed through the common vicissitudes of that dreadful time which would take a volume for their recital in each individual instance paul de st ange was a handsome young fellow frank high-spirited and of a brisk and happy temperament which however modified by the many misfortunes he had undergone was not permanently changed he had plenty of capacity for enjoyment in him still and as his position was very isolated and his mind had become enlightened on social and political matters to an extent in which the men of his family would have discovered utter degradation and the women diabolical possession he would not have been very unhappy if under the new condition of things he could have lived in his native country and gained an honest livelihood but he could not do that he was too thoroughly suspect the antecedents of his family were too powerful against him his only chance would have been to have gone into the popular camp as an extreme violent partisan to have outherited the revolutionary herods, and that paul de st was too honest to do so he was reduced to being thankful that he had escaped with his life and to watching for an opportunity of leaving france and gaining some country where the reign of liberty fraternity and equality was not quite so oppressive the long-looked-for opportunity at length offered itself, and Paul de Saint-Ange was instructed by his uncle the Marquis that he must contrive to reach Marseilles, whence he should be transported to Spain, in which country the illustrious emigrant was then residing, by a certain named date. His uncle's communication arrived safely, and the plan proposed seemed a secure and eligible one. Only in two respects was it calculated to make Paul de saint thoughtful— the first was that his uncle should take any interest in the matter of his safety the second what could be the nature of a certain deposit which the marquis's letter directed him to procure if possible from the chateau de saint-ange the fact of this injunction explained in some measure the first of the two difficulties it was plain that whatever were the contents of this packet which he was to seek for according to the indications marked on a ground plan drawn by his uncle and enclosed in the letter the marquis wanted them and could not procure them except by the agency of his nephew that the marquis should venture to direct paul de saint to put himself in communication with prosper alix would have been surprising to anyone acquainted only with the external and generally understood features of the character of the new proprietor of the Château de saint But a few people knew Prosper Alix thoroughly, and the Marquis was one of the number. He was keen enough to know in theory that, in the case of a man with only one weakness, that is likely to be a very weak weakness indeed, and to apply the theory to the avocat. The beautiful, pious, and aristocratic mother of Paul de saint a lady to whose superiority the marquis had rendered the distinguished testimony of his dislike not hesitating to avow that she was much too good for his taste had been very fond of and very kind to the motherless daughter of prosper Alix, and he held her memory in reverence which he accorded to nothing beside human or divine and taught his daughter the matchless worth of the friend she had lost the marquis knew this and though he had little sympathy with the sentiment, he believed he might use it in the present instance to his own profit, with safety. The event proved that he was right. Private negotiations, with the manner of whose transaction we are not concerned, passed between the Avocat and the ci-devant Marquis, and the young man, then leading a life in which skulking had a large share, in the vicinity of Dijon, was instructed to present himself at the Maison Alix under the designation of henri glaire and in the character of an artist in house decoration the circumstances of his life in childhood and boyhood had led to his being almost safe from recognition as a man at lyons and indeed all the people on the ci-devant visiting list of the chateau had been pretty nearly killed off in the noble and patriotic ardor of the revolutionary times the ancient chateau de st ange was proudly placed near the summit of the holy hill and had suffered terrible depredations when the church at fourviere was sacked and the shrine desecrated with that ingenious impiety which is characteristic of the french but it still retained somewhat of its former heavy grandeur the chateau was much too large for the needs tastes or ambition of its present owner who was too wise if even he had been of an ostentatious disposition not to have sedulously resisted its promptings the jealousy of the nation of brothers was easily excited and departure from simplicity and frugality was apt to be commented upon by domiciliary visits and the eager imposition of fanciful fines. that portion of the vast building occupied by prosper aliques and the citoyenne, Bert, his daughter, presented an appearance of well-to-do comfort and modest ease, which contrasted with the grandiose proportions and the elaborate decorations of the wide corridors, huge flat staircases, and lofty paneled apartments. The avocat and his daughter live quietly in the old place, hoping after a general fashion for better times, but not finding the present very bad, the father becoming day by day more pleased with his bargain the daughter growing fonder of the great house and the noble bocage of the scrappy little vineyards struggling for existence on the sunny hillside and the place where the famous shrine had been they had done it much damage they had parted its riches among them the once ever open doors were shut and the worn flags were untrodden but nothing could degrade it nothing could destroy what had been in the mind of bert who was as devout as her father was unconcernedly unbelieving berthe was wonderfully well educated for a frenchwoman of that period and surprisingly handsome for a frenchwoman of any not too tall to offend the taste of her compatriots and not too short to be dignified and graceful she had a symmetrical figure and a small well-poised head whose profuse shining silken dark-brown hair she wore as nature intended in a shower of curls never touched by the hand of the coiffure curls which clustered over her brow and fell far down on her shapely neck her features were fine the eyes very dark and the mouth very red the complexion clear and rather pale and the style of the face and expression lofty when Bertalix leeks was a child people were accustomed to say she was pretty and refined enough to belong to the aristocracy nobody would have dared to say so now prettiness and refinement, together with all the other virtues, admitted to a place on the patriotic roll, having become national property. Bert loved her father dearly. She was deeply impressed with the sense of her supreme importance to him, and fully comprehended that he would be influenced by and through her when all other persuasion or argument would be unavailing. When Prosper Alix wished and intended to do anything rather mean or selfish, He did it without letting Bert know, and when he wished to leave undone, something which he knew his daughter would decide ought to be done, he carefully concealed from her the existence of the dilemma. Nevertheless, this system did not prevent the father and daughter being very good and even confidential friends. Prosper Alix loved his daughter immeasurably, and respected her more than he respected anyone in the world. With regard to her persevering religiousness, when such things were not only out of fashion and date but illegal as well he was very tolerant of course it was weak and an absurdity but every woman even his beautiful incomparable bert was weak and absurd on some point or other and after all he had come to the conclusion that the safest weakness with which a woman can be afflicted is that romantic and ridiculous faiblesse called piety so, these two lived a happy life together, Bert's share of it being very secluded, and were wonderfully little troubled by the turbulence with which society was making its tumultuous way, to the virtuous serenity of republican perfection. The communication announcing the project of the ci-devant Marquis for the secure exportation of his nephew, and containing the skillful appeal before mentioned, grievously disturbed the tranquillity of prosper and was precisely one of those incidents which he would especially have liked to conceal from his daughter but he could not do so the appeal was too cleverly made and utter indifference to it utter neglect of the letter which naturally suggested itself as the easiest means of getting rid of a difficulty would have involved an act of direct and uncompromising dishonesty to which Prosper, though of sufficiently elastic conscience within the limit of professional gains, could not contemplate. The Chateau de Saint was indeed his own lawful property, his without prejudice to the former owners, dispossessed by no act of his. But the ci-devant Marquis, confiding in him to an extent which was quite astonishing, Except on the P a theory, which is so unflattering as to be seldom accepted, announced to him the existence of a certain packet hidden in the chateau, acknowledging its value and urging the need of its safe transmission. This was not his property; he hardly wished he had never learned its existence, but wishing that was clearly of no use. Then he wished the nephew of the ci-devant might come soon and take himself and the hidden wealth away with all possible speed this latter was a more realizable desire and prosper settled his mind with it communicated the interesting but decidedly dangerous secret to bert received her warm sanction and transmitted to the marquis by the appointed means an assurance that his wishes should be punctually carried out the absence of an interdiction of his visit before a certain date was to be the signal to M. Paul de saint that he was to proceed to act upon his uncle's instructions. He waited the proper time, the reassuring silence was maintained unbroken, and he ultimately set forth on his journey and accomplished it in safety. Preparations had been made at the Maison Alix for the reception of M. Gouillard, and his supposed occupation had been announced the apartments were decorated in a heavy gloomy style and those of the citoyenne in particular they had been occupied by a lady who had once been designated as feu madame la marquise but who is referred to now as la mère du ci-devant were much in need of renovation the alcove for instance was all that was least gay and most far from simple the citoyenne would have all that changed on the morning of the day of the expected arrival bert said to her father it would seem as if the marquis did not know the exact spot in which the packet is deposited m paul's assumed character implies the necessity for a search m Henri glaire arrived at the maison alix was fraternally received and made acquainted with the sphere of his operations the young man had a good deal of both ability and taste in the line he had assumed and the part was not difficult to play some days were judiciously allowed to pass before the real object of the masquerade was pursued and during that time cordial relations established themselves between the avocat and his guest the young man was handsome elegant engaging with all the external advantages and devoid of the vices errors and hopelessly infatuated unscrupulousness of his class he had naturally quick intelligence and some real knowledge and comprehension of life had been knocked into him by the hard-hitting blows of fate his face was like his mother's prosper alixe thought and his mind and taste were of the very pattern which in theory bert approved bert a very unconventional french girl who though the new era of purity love virtue and disinterestedness ought to do away with marriage by barter as one of its most notable reforms and had been disenchanted by discovering that the abolition of marriage altogether suited the taste of the incorruptible republic better might like might even love this young man she saw so few men and had no fancy for patriots she would certainly be obstinate about it if she did chance to love him this would be a nice state of affairs, this would be a pleasant consequence of the confiding request of the ci de Prosper wished with all his heart for the arrival of the concerted signal, which should tell Henri Claire that he might fulfill the purpose of his sojourn at the Maison Alix, and set forth for Marseille. But the signal did not come, and the days, long, beautiful, sunny, soothing summer days, went on the painting of the panels of the citoyenne's apartment which she vacated for that purpose progressed slowly and m paul de st guided by the ground plan and aided by Bert, had discovered the spot in which the jewels of price almost the last remnants of the princely wealth of the Saint-Ange, had been hidden by the femme de chambre who had perished with her mistress having confided a general statement of the fact to a priest for transmission to the marquis this spot had been ingeniously chosen the sleeping apartment of the late marquis was extensive lofty and provided with an alcove of sufficiently large dimensions to have formed in itself a handsome room this space containing a splendid but gloomy bed on an estrade and hung with rich faded brocade was divided from the general extent of the apartment by a low railing of black oak elaborately carved opening in the centre and with a flat wide bar along the top covered with crimson velvet the curtains were contrived to hang from the ceiling and when let down inside the screen of railing they matched the draperies which closed before the great stone balcony at the opposite end of the room since the avocat's daughter had occupied this palatial chamber the curtains of the alcove had never been drawn and she had substituted for them a high folding screen of black and gold japanese pattern also a relic of the grand old times which stood about six feet on the outside of the rails that shut in her bed the floor was of shining oak testifying to the conscientious and successful labours of successive generations of frotteurs and on the spot where the railing of the alcove opened by a pretty quaint device sundering the entwined arms of a pair of very chubby cherubs a square space in the floor was also richly carved the seekers soon reached the end of their search a little effort removed the square of carved oak and underneath they found a casket evidently of old workmanship richly wrought in silver much tarnished, but quite intact it was agreed that this precious deposit should be replaced and the carved square laid down over it until the signal for his departure should reach Paul. The little baggage which under any circumstances he could have ventured to allow himself in the dangerous journey he was to undertake must be reduced so as to admit of his carrying the casket without exciting suspicion. The finding of the hidden treasure was not the first joint discovery made by the daughter of the Avocat and the son of the devant. The cogitations of Prosper Alix were very wise, very reasonable, but they were a little tardy. Before he admitted the possibility of mischief, the mischief was done. Each had found out that the love of the other was indispensable to the happiness of life, and they had exchanged confidences, assurances, protestations, and promises, as freely, as fervently, and as hopefully as if no such thing as a republic, one and indivisible, with a keen scent and an unappeasable thirst for the blood of aristocrats, existed. They forgot all about liberty, fraternity, and equality, these egotistical, narrow-minded young people. They also forgot the characteristic alternative to those unparalleled blessings-death. But Prosper Alix did not forget any of these things, and his consternation, his prevision of suffering for his beloved daughter, were terrible when she told him with a simple noble frankness which the grande dame of the dead-and-gone time of great ladies had rarely had a chance of exhibiting that she loved m paul de st ange and intended to marry him when the better time should come perhaps she meant when that alternative of death should be struck off the sacred formula of course she meant to marry him with the sanction of her father which she made no doubt she should receive Prosper Leeks was in pitiable perplexity. He could not bear to terrify his daughter by a full explanation of the danger she was incurring. He could not bear to delude her with false hope. If this young man could be got away at once, safely, there was not much likelihood that he would ever be able to return to France. Would Bert pine for him, or would she forget him, and make a rational, sensible, rich, Republican marriage which would not imperil either her reputation for pure patriotism, or her father's. The latter would be the very best thing that could possibly happen, and therefore it was decidedly unwise to calculate upon it. But, after all, it was possible, and Prosper had not the courage in such a strait to resist the hopeful promptings of a possibility. How ardently he regretted that he had complied with the prayer of the devant. When would the signal for Monsieur Paul's departure come? Prosper Alixe had made many sacrifices, had exercised much self-control for his daughter's sake, but he had never sustained a more severe trial than this, never suffered more than he did now, under the strong necessity for hiding from her his absolute conviction of the impossibility of a happy result for this attachment, in that future to which the lovers looked so fearlessly. He could not even make his anxiety and apprehension known to Paul de Saint-Ange, for he did not believe the young man had sufficient strength of will to conceal anything so important from the keen and determined observation of Bert. The expected signal was not given, and the lovers were incautious. The seclusion of the Maison Alix had all the danger, as well as all the delight, of solitude, and Paul dropped his disguise too much and too often the servants few in number were of the truest patriotic principles and to some of them the denunciation of the citoyen whom they condescended to serve because the sacred revolution had not yet made them as rich as he would have been a delightful duty a sweet-smelling sacrifice to be laid on the altar of the country they heard certain names and places mentioned they perceived many things which led them to believe that Henri Claire was not an industrial artist and pure patriot, worthy of respect, but a wretched ci-devant resorting to the dignity of labor to make up for the righteous destruction of every other kind of dignity. One day, a gardener of less stoical virtue than his fellows gave Prosper a warning that the presence of a devant upon his premises was suspected and that he might be certain a domiciliary visit attended with dangerous results to himself would soon take place of course the avocat did not commit himself by any avowal to this lukewarm patriot but he casually mentioned that henri Glare was about to take his leave what was to be done he must not leave the neighbourhood without receiving the instructions he was awaiting but he must leave the house and be supposed to have gone quite away without any delay or hesitation prosper explained the facts to berton her lover and insisted on the necessity for an instant parting then the courage and the readiness of the girl told there was no crying and very little trembling she was strong and helpful you must go to pichon's father she said and remain there until the signal is given pichon is a master mason paul she continued turning to her lover and his wife was my nurse They are avaricious people, but they are fond of me in their way, and they will shelter you faithfully enough when they know that my father will pay them handsomely. You must go at once, unseen by the servants. They are at supper. Fetch your valise and bring it to my room. We will put the casket in it, and such of your things as you must take out to make room for it, we can hide under the plank. My father will go with you to Pichon's, and we will communicate with you there as soon as it is safe." Paul followed her to the large, gloomy room where the treasure lay, and they took the casket from its hiding-place. It was heavy, though not large, and an awkward thing to pack away among linen in a small valise. They managed it, however, and the brief preparation completed, the moment of parting arrived. Firmly and eloquently, though in haste, Bert assured Paul of her changeless love and faith, and promised him to wait for him for any length of time, in france if better days should be slow of coming or to join him in some foreign land if they were never to come her father was present full of compassion and misgiving at length he said come paul you must leave her every moment is of importance the young man and his betrothed were standing on the spot whence they had taken the casket the carved rail with the heavy curtains might have been the outer sanctuary of an altar and they bride and bridegroom before it with earnest loving faces and clasped hands farewell paul said berthe promise me once more in this the moment of our parting that you will come to me again if you are alive when the danger is past whether i am living or dead bert said paul de saint ange strongly moved by some sudden inexplicable instinct i will come to you again in a few more minutes prosper alix and his guest who carried not without difficulty the small but heavy leather valise had disappeared in the distance and berthe was on her knees before the prie dieu of the ci-devant marquise her face turned towards the holy hill of fourvière pichon maitre and his sons garçon masson were well-to-do people rather morose exceedingly avaricious and of taciturn dispositions but they were not ill-spoken of by their neighbours they had amassed a good deal of money in their time and were just then engaged on a very lucrative job this was the construction of several of the steep descents by means of stairs straight and winding cut in the face of the coteaux by which pedestrians were enabled to descend into the town Pigeonpere père was a proprietaire as well his property was that which is now in the possession of giraudier pharmacien première class and which was destined to attain a sinister celebrity during his proprietorship one of the straightest and steepest of the stairways had been cut close to the terre which the mason owned and a massive wall destined to bound the high road at the foot of the declivity was in course of construction when prosper prosperly saint paul de st ange reached the abode of pichon the master mason with his sons and workmen Had just completed their day's work and were preparing to eat the supper served by the wife and mother a tall gaunt woman who looked as if a more liberal scale of housekeeping would have done her good but on whose features the stamp of that devouring and degrading avarice which is the commonest vice of the french peasantry was set as plainly as on the hard faces of her husband and her sons the avocat explained his business and introduced his companion briefly and awaited the reply of pichon Per without any appearance of inquietude you don't run any risk he said at least you don't run any risk which i cannot make it worth your while to incur it is not the first time you have received a temporary guest on my recommendation you know nothing about the citizen glare except that he is recommended to you by me i am responsible you can on occasion make me so the citizen may remain with you a short time can hardly remain long say citizen is it agreed i have no time to spare it was agreed and prosper alixe departed leaving m paul de st ange convinced that the right indeed the only thing had been done and yet much troubled and depressed pichon pere was a short squat powerfully built man verging on sixty whose thick, dark, grizzled hair, sturdy limbs, and hard hands on which the muscles showed like cords, spoke of endurance and strength. He was indeed noted in the neighborhood for those qualities. His sons resembled him slightly, and each other closely, as was natural, for they were twins. They were heavy, lumpish fellows, and they made but an ungracious return to the attempted civilities of the stranger, to whom the offer of their mother to show him his room was a decided relief. As he rose to follow the woman, Paul de Saint-Ange lifted his small valise with difficulty from the floor, on which he had placed it on entering the house, and carried it out of the room in both his arms. The brothers followed these movements with curiosity, and when the door closed behind their mother and the stranger, their eyes met. Twenty-four hours had passed away, and nothing new had occurred at the Maison Alix. The servants had not expressed any curiosity respecting the departure of the citizen glare. No domiciliary visit had taken place, and Bert and her father were discussing the propriety of Prosper's venturing, on the pretext of an excursion in another direction, a visit to the isolated and quiet dwelling of the master mason. No signal had yet arrived. It was agreed that after the lapse of another day, if their tranquility remained undisturbed, should visit Paul de Senonche Bert who was silent and preoccupied, retired to her own room early, and her father, who was uneasy and apprehensive, desperately anxious for the promised communication from the Marquis, was relieved by her absence. The moon was high in the dark sky, and her beams were flung across the polished oak floor of Bert's bedroom through the great window with the stone balcony. When the girl, who had gone to sleep with her lover's name upon her lips in prayer, awoke with a sudden start and sat up in her bed, an unbearable dread was upon her, and yet she was unable to utter a cry, she was unable to make another movement. Had she heard a voice? No, no one had spoken, nor did she fancy that she heard any sound. But within her, somewhere inside her heaving bosom, something said, Bert, and she listened and knew what it was and it spoke and said i promised you that living or dead i will come to you again and i have come to you but not living she was quite awake even in the agony of her fear she looked around and tried to move her hands to feel her dress and the bedclothes and to fix her eyes on some familiar object that she might satisfy herself before this racing and beating this whirling and yet icy chilliness of her blood should kill her outright that she was really awake i have come to but not living what an awful thing that voice speaking within her was she tried to raise her head and to look towards the place where the moonbeams marked bright lines upon the polished floor which lost themselves at the foot of the japanese screen she forced herself to this effort and lifted her eyes wild and haggard with fear and there the moonbeams at his feet the tall black screen behind him she saw paul de saint-age she saw him she looked at him quite steadily she rose slowly with a mechanical movement and stood upright beside her bed clasping her forehead with her hands and gazing at him he stood motionless in the dress he had worn when he took leave of her the light-coloured riding-coat of the period with a short cape and a large white cravat tucked into the double breast the white muslin was flecked and the front of the riding coat was deeply stained with blood he looked at her and she took a step forward another then with a desperate effort she dashed open the railing and flung herself on her knees before him with her arms outstretched as if to clasp him but he was no longer there the moonbeams fell clear and cold upon the polished floor and lost themselves where berthe lay at the foot of the screen her head upon the ground and every sign of life gone from her where is the citizen claire asked prosper alixe of the citoyenne pichon entering the house of the master mason abruptly with a stern and threatening countenance i have a message for him i must see him i know nothing about him replied the citoyenne without turning in his direction or relaxing her culinary labours he went away from here the next morning and i did not trouble myself to ask where that is his affair he went away without letting me know be careful Citoyenne. this is a serious matter so they tell me said the woman with a grin which was not altogether free from pain and fear For you a serious thing to have a suspect in your house and palm him off on honest people however he went away peacefully enough when he knew we had found him out and that we had no desire to go to prison or worse on his account or yours she was strangely insolent this woman and the listener felt his helplessness he had brought the young man there with such secrecy he had so carefully provided for the success of concealment who carried his valise prosper alix asked her suddenly how should i know she replied but her hands lost their steadiness and she upset a stew-pen HE CARRIED IT HERE, DIDN'T HE? AND I SUPPOSE HE CARRIED IT AWAY AGAIN. PROSPERA Leeks LOOKED AT HER steadily. SHE SHUNNED HIS GAZE, BUT SHE SHOWED NO OTHER SIGN OF CONFUSION. THEN HORROR AND DISGUST OF THE WOMAN CAME OVER HIM. I MUST SEE PICHON, HE SAID. WHERE IS HE? WHERE SHOULD HE BE BUT AT THE WALL? HE AND THE BOYS ARE WORKING THERE AS ALWAYS. THE CITIZEN CAN SEE THEM, BUT HE WILL REMEMBER NOT TO DETAIN THEM. IN A LITTLE QUARTER OF AN HOUR THE SOUP WILL BE READY. The citizen did see the master-mason and his sons, and after an interview of some duration he left the place in a state of violent agitation and complete discomfiture. The master-mason had addressed to him these words at parting. "'I assert that the man went away of his own free will, but if you do not keep very quiet I shall deny that he came here at all. You cannot prove he did, and I will denounce you for harbouring a suspect and ci-devant under a false name.' i know a de st when i see him as well as you citizen alix and wishing m paul a good journey i hope you will consider about this matter for truly my friend i think you will sneeze in the sack before i shall we must bear it bert my child said prosper alix to his daughter many weeks later when the fever had left her and she was able to talk with her father of the mysterious and frightful events which had occurred we are utterly helpless there is no proof ONLY THE WORD OF THESE WRETCHES AGAINST MINE, AND CERTAIN DESTRUCTION TO ME IF I SPEAK. WE WILL GO TO SPAIN AND TELL THE MARQUIS ALL THE TRUTH, AND NEVER RETURN IF YOU WOULD RATHER NOT, BUT FOR THE REST WE MUST BEAR IT. YES, MY FATHER, SAID Bert submissively. I KNOW WE MUST, BUT GOD NEED NOT, AND I DON'T BELIEVE HE WILL. THE FATHER AND DAUGHTER LEFT FRANCE UNMOLESTED, AND Bert BORE IT AS WELL AS SHE COULD when better times came they returned prosper alix an old man and bert a stern silent handsome woman with whom no one associated any notions of love or marriage but long before their return the traditions of the croix Rousse were enriched by circumstances which led to that before-mentioned capital bargain made by the father of the giraudier of the present these circumstances were the violent death of pichon and his two sons who were killed by the fall of a portion of the great boundary wall on the very day of its completion and the discovery close to its foundation at the extremity of pichon's terre of the corpse of a young man attired in a light-coloured riding-coat who had been stabbed through the heart Bertholix lived alone in the chateau de Saint-Age under its restored name, until she was a very old woman. She lived long enough to see the golden figure on the summit of the holy hill, long enough to forget the bad old times, but not long enough to forget or cease to mourn the lover who had kept his promise and come back to her, the lover who rested in the earth which once covered the bones of the martyrs, and who kept a place for her by his side. She has filled that place for many years you may see it when you look down from the second gallery of the bell-tower at fourviere following the bend of the outstretched golden arm of notre dame the château was pulled down some years ago and there is no trace of its former existence among the vines good times and bad times and again good times have come for the croix rousse for lyon and for france since then but the remembrance of the treachery of pichon and sons And of the retribution which at once exposed and punished their crime outlives all changes and once every year on a certain summer night three ghostly figures are seen by any who have courage and patience to watch for them gliding along by the foot of the boundary wall two of them carrying a dangling corpse and the other implements for mason's work and a small leather valise giraudier pharmacien has never seen these ghostly figures but he describes them with much minuteness and only the esprit fort of the croix russe deny that the ghosts of pichon and sons are not yet laid pichon and sons of the croix rousse recording by anne erickson toronto